Good morning and happy Easter, y'all. Happy Easter. Yes. My name is Kathy Connor. I'm one of the pastors at First Pres, and I'm so glad you're here. The resurrection of Jesus was the greatest surprise in all of human history. The fact that Jesus is alive changes everything. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we worship. It changes the way we hope. So as we sing and pray and worship, I want to invite you to imagine the truth that Jesus is alive and he's sitting right next to you. If you're new to First Pres, welcome. We want you to know that we are here to serve you in any way that we can. And we are so much more than a song and a sermon because we are endeavoring to build real relationships with each other and with God so that our lives might be transformed. Now, if you would, fill out the connect card that you can access on our website after worship or you can scan this QR code it will take you directly to the card that way we can serve you pray for you and help you get connected in to the life of the church for those of you online kindly share the service on Facebook so that other people can join us in worship this morning it's also the perfect time for those of you online to go and get some crackers, cookies, cupcakes, we don't care, candy even, along with some juice or water, anything you have, so that we can share in communion together. The Lord's Prayer is a gift to us from Jesus, reminding us that God is a good, good Father and he wants us to rely on him for everything. So let's rely on him even more, trust him even more as we pray this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I want to invite you to stand. What we are going to do next is sing a new song called Rattle. Rattle is about an Old Testament vision of a valley of dry, dead bones, and God breathes new life into those dead bones. It's a spoiler alert because it happened 600 years before Jesus, and yet it points to the resurrection when God did the impossible and breathed new life into Jesus' dead body. So as you sing this song, I invite you to imagine God doing the impossible in your life, bringing to life that which seems dead to you.
Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere, across the ground, and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. Saturday was silent. Surely it was through. Ever stops you. Friday's disappointment, Sunday's empty tomb. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the place make a dead man walk again. Open the way, I'm coming out, I'm gonna live, gonna live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. Pentecostal
I looked as tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may
me at the first service, too. I come up here out of breath after those two songs. That was awesome. Good morning. My name is McLean Murphy, and I am the worship and media coordinator here at First Pres. And I just wanted to take a minute to invite you back. I'm so glad you're here. And we wanted to let you know that next week we're starting a new sermon series called Available. A lot of us walk through life feeling like we have to uncover this mystery of God's purpose for our life. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like you're just wandering around trying to figure out what it is that God wants you to do. Well, in this sermon series, we're going to look at what it looks like to just be available, for the posture of our heart to be available to say yes to God when he calls us to places and to people. So we hope you'll come back and join us. Thanks. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said, God loves a cheerful giver. You are cheerful givers, and your generosity has been so contagious that a man named Eric, who is one of the people we have the privilege of serving, who is homeless and hungry, couldn't wait to give this to the church. It's a $20 bill. He's a vet. And this came from a stimulus check, but he's homeless. But what he said was, I couldn't wait to thank God and thank the people of First Presbyterian Church for caring about me and all of us who live on the street. $20 from a cheerful giver, inspired by you. So here are five ways that we can please God's heart with our cheerful giving. God bless you. Please rise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly 
I'm so excited to be in here with you and to do this with you. And I'm going to turn and look over here. And the camera, for those of you who are online, may not be able to see this angle. But sitting over here in a chair is my good friend. She's 100 years old. Dottie Womble is in here in the house with us this morning. She, she has been participating online, but she's here with us today on Easter Sunday. I love you. Whisper and tell her, Kelly, what I just said. So here we are, Easter Sunday. And what we're going to do is we're going to see that in our, the Bible, our, our book, we have three really important garden stories we need to know about. So let's take a look at the first one. The first garden happens on page one and page two of the Bible. And it's an unbelievable garden. And what it says is that God and heaven and earth were all together. It's seamless. And that's what that story shows us and tells us. And here's what's going on. The goodness of God, God's presence, delight. The word Eden, the Garden of Eden, the word Eden may actually mean delight. And so God's people and God are together. There's no barriers. There's no hindrances. There's no encumbrances. Everybody is there together. And that's how life is going along. And that's how God made it. And, there, and there's one other really important thing. God says to the people, you who I have made in my image, I want you to take on responsibilities. I'm giving you a job to do. Lots of different jobs for human beings to go and do. And what we're doing is working with God as God's partners out into the world so that human beings and creation itself could flourish. And that's what's going on in that first garden. Heaven and earth together. See, the... Heaven is not some upgrade in your real estate. That's not what it's about. It's about God's presence. So when we're with God, that's what the Bible means when it says heaven. And that's what's going on here. In fact, we just prayed it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Putting it back together again when we prayed the Lord's Prayer. And that's what's going on. And God, it's forever. And it's relational. And it just goes on and on and on. But, uh-oh, page one and two are about this garden. Page three, things fall apart. So what happens is this. The man and the woman, having heard from God, you hear it's all for you. Don't, however, eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what that means, at least, is this. God is trying to say there's way more about the universe than you could ever possibly understand. I and only I can know ultimately what's best and what's worse, what's right and what's wrong. I'm in charge of good and evil. Just go flourish. But here's what the human beings did, the man and the woman. They said, wait, I'm going to choose to do this myself. I'm going to decide that I can discern good and evil. I'm going to decide right now that I can figure it out on my own. So the human beings, this is sort of our default, friends. This is where we are. Sometimes benignly, but sometimes openly, we say, no, I want to do what I want to do, and I'm not even going to ask God. I just do it. And so this autonomy is sort of, it's the way that we are as human beings. And here's the kind of stuff that starts happening when autonomous human beings try to figure out on their own how to do what's best and what's not so good. 
we always mess it up. We live with a certain amount of self-deception. I, my, I, just speaking for me, my urges, my desires, they start to become about me. And sooner or later, here's what, here's what happens. Relational vandalism. People get hurt by other people who are self-focused. That's what happens. It's part of my life. My guess is that you can identify with that. My guess is that you can see it. We want to act on our own. We want to do what we want to do. And there's this, for me, deep kind of self-focused, selfish impulse. That's sort of the way it is. But here's the, here's the biggest problem. We have failed because what we were built to do when heaven and earth are together before we said, no, I got this on our own. What we were built to do was to love each other and love God fully. And we fail on that over and over and over again. That's the first garden. We're only three pages in. And there's another garden. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's called Gethsemane. It's where Jesus went just this last Thursday. When he went to pray, he knew what was coming. And he took the inner circle of his senior leadership team with him. They fell asleep. And he's praying. He, he's thinking, what, how, is there another way besides this way? He knew execution was on its way. And there he is in the garden. And one of the gospel writers says he's sweating. He's intense. And he's, the, the, the sweat drops off of him. It looks like drops of blood. And here we are sitting right in the middle of that. Here's what happens there in that garden. Betrayal, arrest, they drag him off. The next day, they execute him. And just so you're clear, he was really dead. We sang the very first line of Rattle, said Saturday was silent. Jesus on Friday breathed his last breath. He was absolutely dead. Roman soldiers were quick to execute thoroughly and even enjoying it. They wanted you to know, mess with me, and this is what happens. They were good at their job. So there we are, garden number one, garden number two, and here's, here's what happens. Many people stay then in garden number two and get, never get out. They're just stuck there. Many people then and many people now we were just there. For instance, Jesus' closest circle of friends, I, real, I realize what I'm asking you to do is lean into this because, see, if Jesus isn't really dead, then, ooh, what we're celebrating with the third garden, it's coming, then life really is going to make some great sense in just a second. Jesus' closest associates, we call them the disciples, you know what happened to them when he was executed? They ran for it. They ended up huddled together in a room, and they are scared. And why are they scared? Because they think, having been closely associated with Jesus, they will meet the same end that he did. They fear for their lives. Let me tell you what was not going on in that room. There was no countdown clock in that room where they were watching and saying, hey, just give this guy three days, he's coming back again. Nope, that's not what was happening. They were distraught. Well, that's garden one, 
there's Eden, Garden 2, there's Gethsemane. We don't want to stay in Gethsemane, but there's a third garden. It's the very last page of the book, Revelation chapter 22. And in that garden, wow, it's all made over again. Human flourishing, a new heaven, a new earth, they're together. There are no boundaries, no restrictions, no, no, nothing in between us and God. We live forever with God, relationally. And it's described, there's rivers, there's trees, there's fruit, there's healing of all the people in all the countries, all the nations. That's what's going on again. That's what's going on there. And the, the question is, how do we get from Gethsemane, where it's the end, and we're huddled, and we're afraid, and all that we, we had hoped for falls apart on that cross with a man who is now deceased? How do we get from Gethsemane to the garden in the book of Revelation? And the answer, my friends, is what we're in here for today. It's Easter. It's the resurrection. That's how we get there. That's how we get from it was dead, but now it's alive again. It's about the resurrection. So what we're going to see is an encounter that happens in the post-resurrection account of the gospel of John. So I'm reading John chapter 20, verses 11 through 16. Watch this great, great, great report of this woman and her meeting Jesus after his resurrection. Mary, this is Mary Magdalene, it says here. She stood outside the tomb crying. So this is Sunday morning. Now Mary and the others had a rush job on Friday before dark to get Jesus' body prepared and in the tomb. The tomb would have been a place you walk inside of, has a slab. Down on the slab goes the body. And in the Jewish customs and rituals, they would treat the body with spices, etc., and then leave the body there, but had to close it up and, and get finished before dark because it was the Jewish Sabbath beginning Friday night sundown. Saturday night sundown, it's too dark to work, so they go back Sunday morning. And that's, there's Mary, Mary Magdalene. Jesus had cared for her. He had taught her. He had healed her, and she followed him. And there she is on Easter Sunday morning, and she goes to this tomb, and the stone is rolled away. And she sticks her head in and sees that he's gone. And on top of the deep, deep, deep pain, of him being dead and the movement being over. Now she's horrified and distraught. Someone stole his body. So it says she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels. In English, we have the word angels. In the Greek text, it's really better to think of it as messengers. These are, these are supernatural messengers that come from God. And there they are. And they're in that tomb, and they're seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the feet. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And the way they speak to her, when the, the word woman here, it's not abrupt, it's warm. They're saying this with affection. Why are you crying? And look at her response. They've taken my Lord away, she said. Now, what we're being invited to do, friends, is you're being invited to begin to ask yourself the question, and Mary yet doesn't understand, can I believe that resurrection is possible? Is it possible? And that's the question for you and for me right now. Is it possible? She doesn't know how to explain what's happened. She does the very first rational, obvious thing. Someone stole the body. Horrible. 
I, someone has taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. She's grieving and horrified and distraught and deeply discouraged. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, and again, it's warm and it's an affectionate way for him to speak to her. Why are you crying? And then look at this question. Who is it you are looking for? I want you to be looking for him. He wants you to be looking for him. He wants me to be looking for him. Look what happens next. Thinking he was the gardener. Mary thinks Jesus is on the cemetery lawn crew. There's a pickup parked out front, a trailer, you know, all the equipment. She has no idea, but watch what happens. She thinks he's a gardener. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. She just wants to do the right thing with him, with his body. Wow. Watch what happens next. Whew. Jesus says to her, Mary. He speaks her name, and she recognizes his voice. She recognizes his voice. Oh, he's speaking your name, my name, right now. That's why we're here. Jesus says to her, Mary, she hears her name, recognizes his voice, and just runs to him. She used, calls him out by the deeply affectionate name of a loyal apprentice, Rabuni. It's just Aramaic. Aramaic is a version of the Hebrew language that regular ordinary people spoke. It was a street language of ancient Israel. And that's what Mary says. She runs to him. I'm thinking, inside of Mary is stuff that was dead, and it's coming back to life again. Here's what you and I are being asked to think about, just like Mary. We don't expect dead things to come back to life. That's not what we expect to have happen, do we? And in this Easter story, this resurrection story, I want you to know something. Here inside of me, in my brain, in my mind, in my heart, and in First Presbyterian Church, we believe that the resurrection happened. We believe it's a real thing. I believe it's just as real as the Bucks winning the Super Bowl on February 7th. I believe it's just as real as that I was born in the holy name of Jesus Hospital in Gaston, Alabama some years ago. I believe it's just as real as the Augusta National Golf Club yesterday hosting an amateur tournament for women, and a 17-year-old Japanese young woman won it just as real on the calendar it happened in history that's what I think is about the resurrection and I'm inviting you to work with this with me because it's it's possible that you're not quite sure you can buy something like this I totally get it we're welcome here in First Presbyterian Church to be people who ask good questions about this kind of thing but it's fundamentally central to everything about what the Bible teaches us about what it means to be followers of Jesus. The resurrection really happened. And here's a few reasons why I think it happened, and I would encourage you to let these be reasons that are a nourishment or an encouragement to you. 
reasons that you can chew on and you can think about. The first one is this. I mentioned that the writers of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I mentioned that they were writing what really is kind of an ancient form of a biography. Now, here's what I want you to know. Some people will say, we're moderns. There's no such thing as a resurrection. All of those stories about Jesus, they're just sort of good, nice stories like fables. But here's what you need to understand. If you pick one of these books up and start reading it, none of those writers write anything like a fable. They're writing what they saw and what they heard, and they're writing it and reporting it so you and I can know about it. In no way, shape, or form are they giving the signal that you don't really want to listen to what this says. It's just about something else. They're writing about something they believe really happened. That's one thing that matters a lot. It matters a lot to me. The reports of Jesus' resurrection, they are multiply reported on by independent sources. That's another thing that's out there that helps me to understand that it's a real thing. There were 500 or so eyewitnesses of Jesus after his resurrection. 500. That helps. Here's another thing that people who do history for a living, like professional historians, here's what they will also say to us. There are outsiders who in their writings corroborate that there was a resurrection. They say that this thing happened and these people are following this man who is now alive again. And I guess the last thing I would say is this. Jesus' enemies also attest to a resurrection, and they're really not happy about it. So all of that is to say that you don't have to dump your brains at the door in order to believe something that's sort of outside of our ability to see it. It's not a reproducible event, but that doesn't mean we can't believe because we're talking about the God of the universe, and there's more reality than just what we can measure with the scientific method. And yes, this will press you intellectually, but I'm inviting you to do what Mary had to do because her first explanations were totally natural, but what's been introduced is something, I guess you could call it supernatural. That God's reality is bigger than our ability to define it. And that's what's happening here. So I want you to, however, this caution. Take care right now in this room to make sure that you don't think that we're just walking away from here today to come up with some new intellectual uh, agreement or assent to some kind of belief. That's, that's important. But here's what's being asked of us. We're being asked to engage in a relationship. We're being asked to trust the resurrected Jesus, to surrender to him, to let him have our lives the way it was before, oops, page three in the Garden of Eden. That's what we're being asked to do. Doubt, my friends, is not the opposite of faith. Disbelief is the opposite of faith. Doubt is sort of almost intrinsic to faith. And I, I think of it in a, in a fully kind of relational way. There's doubt that I have in my life sometimes about three really important things in my life. It's about me as a husband, about me as a father, and about me as a good friend. So you probably can relate to that. Sometimes you have doubt about your most important relationships. It doesn't mean you don't have a relationship. It just means sometimes there's doubt there. And then we work through it. So I'm inviting you, doubt included, give the resurrected Jesus to try. That's what I want you to do here. And yes, we really don't expect dead things to come back to life. But God is in the business of making dead things come back to life. And I have a, a story, sort of a joke. 
that illustrates this. There are these neighbors. One has a German shepherd, and the next-door neighbor doesn't like the German shepherd. In fact, there's a little bit of acrimony between these two households. And the owner of the German shepherd hears all kinds of noise and barking and everything and looks outside, and the German shepherd has the neighbor's rabbit in its mouth, slinging its head just like this, making all kinds of noise. And the, 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 the owner of the dog, petrified, runs outside and almost has to pummel their own dog to get the rabbit out of their mouth, and the rabbit is dead. And the rabbit is all kind of chewed up and everything. So the owner of the German shepherd washes the rabbit, gets a hair dryer out and blow dries the rabbit, and then goes and puts the rabbit back in the rabbit's cage. <laughs> just a little while later, Here's the neighbor of the rabbit's owner screaming. The rabbit died. We buried him, just buried him. He's back. <laughs> no. See, we're not used to seeing dead things come back to life again, but that's what Resurrection Sunday is about. That's what the resurrection is about. And here's two examples of dead things back to life again. Remember those guys huddled? scared we're next we're going to be executed like jesus we call them the disciples that's who they are it's jesus senior leadership team they encountered the resurrection jesus all hope was dead inside of them they had given up it was the end of the movement and here's what happens after they encounter the resurrected jesus they are shot into the eastern mediterranean world bravely telling anybody and everybody about jesus good news there's great news Jesus is alive, and they run all over their part of the world telling people that, knowing that they would likely be martyred because the Romans didn't want to hear it. And in fact, it, most of them were martyred. They wouldn't stop talking. They kept going, and they kept talking about Jesus. They kept sharing their faith. They kept loving people and telling about Jesus. And they are the forebears of the 2.4 billion Christians on the planet right now today. They're the ones that got it started. Brave, courageous, shot out. They were dead with respect to hope. Their insides, gone. They meet the resurrected Jesus. Life was never the same for them again. That's, that's an example that's very helpful to me. Because here what I want you to understand is this. People will not allow themselves to be martyred for something they don't believe happened these men and women believed with everything they had that they encountered the resurrected Jesus and they gave their lives for him and we are the beneficiaries more personal example stuff that was sort of dead inside of me so my mom died back in May she died May 9th the day before Mother's Day last year we were all with her and my mom was 93 which is a long time to live but she's my mommy and she died, but she had cancer, and she had pain, and she had dementia. So the last two or three years of her life, it was really hard even to kind of communicate with her. It was tough. Many of you have been through it. But, but that, that wasn't the part that sort of I wanted to tell you about. Just what, what happened, though, is when I was about this big, my mom and dad were divorced, and there was also alcoholism involved. So I got hurt, and I was a little angry and maybe some resentment. And so I carried that with me throughout my adulthood and have been carrying it but here's what happened that part of me that was decaying I trusted somebody and began to work on it and talk about it and friends I'm telling you 
the healer, Jesus, the resurrected healer. I'm healed. There's scar tissue, but I'm healed. I'm past it. I let go of resentment, engaged in forgiveness. And here's the other really lovely thing about this. My siblings and I are way closer together. My siblings, all of them and their spouses are followers of Jesus, and we share that, but, but we have actually become closer. So somehow the gift of being together and setting aside differences, not bad differences, but yeah, we're just miles away from each other and distance and time, and the next thing you know, we're just not as close as I want to be and they want to be, and we want to be close, and we are. It's like a miracle. So yeah, the resurrected Jesus makes dead things come back to life again. I'm living proof of it. You got any dead stuff in your life? Maybe a sad soul. Maybe an aching heart. Some loss. Some grief. Maybe it's your bank account. You could be right now under the dark cloud of a horrible diagnosis. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that's broken and you feel the pain of it. But here's what the resurrected Jesus does, the gardener. He tills the soil of the entire universe and your heart. And here's what he does, and we just sang it. He turns graves, dead stuff, into gardens. That's why you're here. Jesus, the resurrection. What this tells us is that God is not just sometimes in control. God's always in control. The resurrection tells us that God is not just occasionally victorious. The resurrection says that God is victorious. The resurrection is telling us that Jesus the king is not some days seated on the throne and other days he vacates it. No. Enthroned forever, the king of the universe who's inviting you to look for him, and he's saying your name, calling it out. And that's the meaning of this table here. We're being invited to surrender to hearing our name said by the Lord of the universe. And so he, he gives us this meal to help us remember it. Just a couple of housekeeping details about the meal. We're going to have, in a few moments, the ushers are going to help you come forward. Each of you will grab one of these. There's juice on one side. There's a little piece of bread kind of stuff on the other. We're all going to come forward and get it and then re return to our seats, and then I will remind us with a couple of words about what these two pieces uh, mean. The other thing is just you'll notice in the floor there are little gray bowls, etc., and you can take the empties when you're finished and drop them in there. Back to the meaning of this event. The body in the blood of Jesus. This is Resurrection Day reality, my friends. When you get up out of your seat and you come forward, the ushers again will tell you when to come. When you get up and come out of your seat, what you're doing is this. You're hearing your name called and you're responding. The gracious God who brings dead things back to life again is calling you by name. Come now, surrender your life to him.
friends, pulling away the foil from the wafer, the body of Jesus, Good Friday. And now the blood of Jesus, it turns graves into gardens. Allow me to pray for us. Gracious God, we surrender. Oh, what deep, deep, deep relief that we can experience your presence and your purposes for us in the resurrection. And that's why we're here. We hear our name being called by you. And we run to you. We respond. We're, we're simply going to be your apprentice. We're going to follow you around. We're going to learn from you. Thank you, gracious God, that we can sing, we can celebrate, we can, we can pray, all because you are alive. You are risen indeed. In the risen Master's name, amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to rattle just a little bit more. I hope you like that. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to charge back out into your world loving people really well the way you've been loved in Jesus. Amen. Bye.